Hello everyone, I am Paige. I'm Chris. And welcome to another episode of Animates. Today we're going to be wrapping up our discussion about Avatar The Last Airbender by discussing Season 3. Book 3, fire! It's all about <laughs> the hot. Yeah. Yep, there's some, uh, there's some inv- invasions, there's some traveling around randomly in the fire nation there's some industrial sabotage there's some posing as spirits it's a pretty interesting season overall and the movie footloose <laughs> yeah that the literally the movie footloose happens uh during season three the Sorry, at the end of last episode, we didn't have time to talk very much in depth about uh, an experience that occurs to Aang at the very end of season two before he's uh, roasted through his back. (laughs) And that is Guru Patik, um, who is a character that Appa meets when Appa is searching for Aang. When he, like, it manages to escape from his captors. And Patik sends along a message to Aang, which is basically like, Yo, my parents aren't home. Come over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna explore your avatar state, which is completely non-sexual. Um, so, so, well, so <laughs> alright, let's talk about Guru Patik for a second, because... I do feel a little, I feel the tiniest bit weird about Guru Patik. Like, he's a great character, but he's the only, like, Indian person in the entire world of Avatar, it seems. Like, he's called a guru. He is phenotypically, he looks like an Indian person. And he has, like, a stereotypical Indian accent, which just seems strange because we haven't ever seen anybody else that's at all like that in the entire world of Avatar. So it's like now there's a spiritual person who's talking about chakras and they're like this type of person. It made me feel a little bit strange. Do, yeah, he, do you He's rocking the Gandhi phenotype. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I I yeah, it is <laughs> it is a little bit weird that this is the only person like this that we ever meet. Um Yeah. I don't know, on the one hand, Yes. On the other hand, there are such things as Indian gurus. Yeah, I mean, Uh, that's a real thing. So if it's only it's only bad slash weird because otherwise the representation is completely non-existent. And it does probably play. I don't know. When I was a little kid, my exposure to Indian culture was very small. (laughs) And it mostly had to do with characters like him. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but, like, other than that, like, he's, like, he's a fun character. He's, you know, like, he's helping uh, Aang discover, you know, like, basically deal with his spiritual life. And he's also got a lot of fun little, fun little quips and stuff uh in the meantime but basically what he wants to help ang learn how to control the avatar state because so far for ang 
it's been something that just kind of happens to him when he's really upset or in a lot of danger and not an aspect of himself that he's able to control. So basically Guru Patik tells him that he needs to, in order to gain control of the avatar state, he needs to uh, become like spiritually right, essentially. And he needs to clear all of his chakras um, and so they go through this whole process where they uh, go and <laughs> sit in lots of different places around the air temple and like meditate on what is holding him back around each of the, the themes of each of the chakras. And he has to like let go of that thing in order to clear the chakra. Also, I, I just realized this. I don't know why I haven't brought it up before, but... This is super common in anime, um, particularly shonen anime, which is, like, made for teenage boys. And it's the... It's, like, the superpower that comes out only when you're mad, and it always starts as some, like, uncontrollable force, but ends up being super powerful and they learn to control it it's like it's in everything it was gohan and dbz uh it it's not like naruto and his fox power in naruto like they they have it in so it's a trope it's one of the biggest tropes in shonen um so i can't believe that i hadn't made that connection until just this moment i'm huh pathetic. that's interesting i don't really watch a lot of shonen so I didn't really know that that was this is a journey. A thing. Yeah, the conflict usually centers around it's powerful but uncontrollable, which we see with Aang, and it is powerful and they learn to control it so it doesn't only come out when they're angry, which is also a central conflict of a lot of these shows is learning how to deal with it. So Avatar took a page out of out of anime's book yeah i guess like the only thing is it's like that's like a pretty common trope in any kind of like fantasy is it's someone who has like powers that they don't know how to control and that they like come out when they're in times of high emotion so i guess i didn't make that like i i'm familiar with it as a trope but i didn't know that it was a like in this really specific way is sort of a thing in Shonen, but like it's a thing in in Harry Potter and in goddamn Frozen, it's a thing. You know, uh, X Men is like all about that, basically. Sorry, I was just remembering the X Men theme song. Um, <laughs> those eighties kids. All right, so eventually, right? They managed to go through each chakra and what's interesting is that each sort of reflects a different spiritual need or, mm -hmm. or aspect of life and Aang basically has to go through and solve a conflict for each chakra yeah and so there's stuff like one of his chakras he it's like he has to let go of his uh, his guilt 
or whatever, you know, about having like not saved everyone else in the air nation because it's holding him back to be holding on to that guilt or whatever. And he has to let go of that. Um, but then some of them are things that are a little more difficult to deal with. Uh, or more difficult to let go. And the final chakra, which is at the top of the head, deals with, with love, essentially. And he's being asked to let go of Katara, which is what he can't do, which is what I was mentioning last time. Of he He's almost there. He's almost, he says he doesn't want to let go of Katara. But he's kind of getting to the point where he's understanding that he has to do this to be able to move forward. And that's what he has that vision of Katara in trouble and like runs off in the middle of it, locking all of his chakras and, uh, you know, ends up meditating and letting go of her, et cetera, et cetera, during the battle, which I mentioned last time, um, which like, you know, that's like a pretty interesting point. The idea of, you know, into the idea of to attain spiritual wholeness you must let go of all earthly things well some earthly things seem really important like your love for the people around you you know that's just like straight up buddhism it is yeah it's just like i'm just gonna poop some buddhism on your kids um (laughs) and it's great pretty much it was probably my first exposure to like buddhist philosophy yeah, definitely. And, like, it does not, like, Aang is not rewarded for not letting Katara go. Like, he ends up discovering in the battle that, like, no, he must do that at that time. But the thing is, what happens, we find out in season three, is that uh, when he was, you know, killed with lightning that the shock he was hit right over one of his, one of his chakras and it was locked. Um, it was locked. Uh, and so he cannot access the avatar state. So for actually the majority of season three, Aang is unable to access the avatar state and is really not sure about how to regain the ability to access the avatar state. Uh, but luckily he's still, uh, he's still the avatar. He's, he's still, still the avatar. He's still yeah. got that going for him. Okay. So I think with season three plot is like the order of the plot is a little more important with season three than it is with, uh, with other seasons. So just like a quick rundown of the barest bones, the season begins with like, there are just a couple of sort of prep episodes and getting to the idea of, like, this is the crew they have together. These are all the people that have joined together while Aang's been unconscious for weeks. And they're going to invade the Fire Nation. They invade the Fire Nation during the eclipse. It fails. And then they all split up. The adults allow themselves to be taken prisoner. And the... Uh, kids um go like hide basically at the air temple i am doing saying this in the right order am i not you are yeah okay the big parts there's all of the oh yeah now i remember so it's like the beginning of the season they're all planning the invasion then 
Aang and Katara, Team Avatar goes off on their own and just like kind of sneaks and skulks around the Fire Nation for several weeks. Then they invade the Fire Nation on the Eclipse. They fail. The adults are taken prisoner. The kids go hide at the Air Temple. Zuko comes and joins them. And then at the end, they have their final big showdown in Sozin's Comet. So those are the bare bones of the season. And like, it's just kind of important to know the order that those things happen in because it can get confusing, like I just did. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it should be stated that the invasion is not... Because remember, Azula has taken over the Earth Kingdom. Mm-hmm. The invasion is not... The Earth Nation, it's like some Earth Nation people, but it's mostly like a small, like a platoon. It's a ragtag group of underdogs. Yeah, you've got like the Swamp Benders, the Earth Benders, the the Invention Genius guy from season Yeah, the two. Tinkerers from season one. Or yeah, season one. Like it's 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 a spattering. And they, they do lots of cool steampunk shit with that one. Like, they invent submarines and stuff. Like, that's cool. Sokka invents submarines. I mean, uh, it's great, but it's also like, what the fuck? Yeah. Basic. Okay, so lots of important stuff happens. And I want to take this, like, roughly in the order that the season happened. in because a lot of the personal development is what is driving the plot in season three. So do you want to talk about any of the fun stuff that happens while they're running around the fire nation in disguise? Well, okay. So I, I first, because it, it, it's painted very early. Zuko is back in the fire nation reinstated Prince. He's back. He's redeemed in the eyes of his father. And he and may are like, dating they're into each other they're finally together um but every time we see zuko on screen he showed some hesitance he doesn't look happy at all (laughs) no Uh, he looks really nervous and unhappy even with stuff like where they're like no let's let us carry you everywhere on a palanquin and he's like i can i walk please it's fine. It's just a few steps. I can walk. And they're like, no, you're not allowed to walk places anymore. And Azula is already plotting how to fuck him over. Yeah, basically. So Azula has told everyone that the Avatar is dead. And she's told their father, Ozai, that Zuko is the one who killed him. Which basically the idea is that she... Zuko knows that there could be a way that the Avatar is not dead, right? And Azula doesn't know that, but she has suspicions. And so basically, she's hedging her bets because if it turns out that the Avatar is still alive and she said Zuko is the one who killed him, he's the one who fucked up and not her. And she can afford to hedge her bet because she's just taken over the freaking Earth Kingdom and and that's enough. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what Zuko does is he sends a um, combustion man to assassinate the Avatar. It doesn't work. Just like Ty Lee, combustion man is a big deal for Korra, kind of. Yes. Um, Yes, because, well, there's someone else who has a similar ability who shows up in Korra. So, like, 
Combustion Man somehow, it's never explained. It's never explained. No. Also known as Sparky Sparky Boom Man. <laughs> is able to bend with his mind, but his fire bending is not fire. It's like he creates psychokinetic explosions. explosions. And it's it's clearly like a third eye situation. Yeah, he it comes from his forehead, so it's got to be some spiritual successor to firebending. Yeah, maybe the next stage in firebender evolution. <laughs> so he never talks. He's really intimidating, and Zuko hires him to go kill the Avatar <laughs> just in case. Yeah, just like just in case, and also Iroh's in prison. And um, Zuko periodically goes in and is like, Uncle, I'm upset. Give me guidance. And Iroh doesn't say anything. And then Zuko goes like, fine, fuck you, and leaves. This happens like three or four times. As Zuko slowly realizes everything he just shat on. Uh, So um, during this period of time, we start to see more of Ozai, voiced by Mark Hamill. The man, and, the myth, the legend. And he's like a dick. That, that's just, he's a genocidal dick. That's his entire character. Yep, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it with Ozai. Um, and, and so that's pretty much the status of things in uh, the first family of fire. And meanwhile, Team Avatar puts on Fire Nation clothes and starts gallivanting around the Fire Nation Okay. Um, in the, disguise. The biggest, most important fact you need to understand at this moment is that Aang has hair. Oh, yeah. Aang grows hair. Like, while Aang is in uh, a coma, he grows hair. <laughs> and so he just leaves it on for a while to be in disguise, and he wears, like, a bandana over his arrow. So, yeah, because he's just like Krillin from DBZ. They, like, shave their heads. They don't, they're not actually bald. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, they, they begin to travel around just to, just to blend in and fit in, and they all look good in fire garb. I actually really like their costume design. They're really cool costumes, and Katara looks hot, and that's the point, and Aang can't, like, Aang gets all embarrassed and blushes. When he first sees Katara in her Fire Nation outfit, she has a bare midriff. So basically, we've got these people trying to fit into Fire Nation society, and they do a terrible job of it. Um, oh my god, because, like, Aang behaves really archaically. He calls everyone Hotman and says stuff like Flamio. And he's Aang is operating on Fire Nation culture he learned 100 years ago. Yeah. So he, nobody understands the slang that he's attempting to use. Um, oh, man. So basically, one of the first encounters they have is they stay in this cave, and they go into town, and because Aang is a child, and they're now in an authoritarian country that apparently has compulsory schooling. Well, we have compulsory schooling, too. But the reason it happens is because the outfit he steals turns out to be a school uniform. Oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, so they steal clothes, and he's forced into school where he kind of lives the life of a normal kid for a couple days, and he chafes against the rules and dogma being forced down his throat. And let me tell you, 
the viewer gets a very clear idea of the kind of culture that is being pushed on the Fire Nation citizen. Yeah, uh, I know Aang gets upset because I cannot remember the exact thing, but the very first thing that they learn in school is factually inaccurate, and Aang is, like, very upset by this fact. Um, do you remember what the particular fact is? I, it has something to do with another nation, yeah, I believe so, too. Uh, I can't remember what it is, but he corrects the teacher and he gets in trouble. And and then there's all kinds of stuff like there's just like factual inaccuracies and, uh, you know, being required to like basically salute the uh, salute a portrait of the uh, fire lord and say an oath of loyalty to the fire nation every day in school. Man, that doesn't sound familiar at all. What the fuck kind of country would make kids do something like that in school? You're talking about Korea, North Korea. Yeah, right? absolutely. Only a place like only an authoritarian state like communist North Korea would ever do something like that. Um, <laughs> this is where people are gonna be like fucking lips and like <laughs> anyway um the first ever episode of the show we spent 20 minutes talking about how i'm a socialist so it's fine <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah if, if you haven't listened to the first episode you're probably like shocked and that's your own fault uh this is a socialist program <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a democratic socialist. <laughs> um, Alright, whatever. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dues-paying member of the DSA, so I am a card-carrying democratic socialist. Ooh, I'm going to move to Chicago and become one of them. Um, Fun! <laughs> so, we've got uh, Aang trying to instill in these children... The, the, the culture of their past, which was free and fun-loving and expressive... Which culminates in dancing. Dancing is not allowed. The children are not allowed to dance. They're not allowed to have fun. So Aang throws a dance party in his cave where he lives. <laughs> with the other members of Team Avatar. And uh, he shows them all how the Fire Nation danced 100 years ago. And he dances with Katara. And it's very adorable. And he incites the Fire Nation youth to dance, which is apparently sinful and against the upright morality uh, of, of the fire-fearing people of the Fire Nation. And, and basically, they dance and then they run away. Yeah, they dance, they get caught and run away. <laughs> so, uh, this is sort of like a very fun it's not a, it's a filler episode in that not a lot of plot happens but it is yeah. it is is fun and and it kind of gets shows you that f the fire nation society is very regimented and, and, yeah. and very strict yeah and there are okay so there are three other um like filler episodes during the 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 lead up to the invasion that i think are good episodes for for character development um so i wanted to discuss them and they are um Sokka's master the painted lady and the puppet master 
those are the names of the episodes. Which of those three episodes would you like to discuss first, Chris? Well, we can start with Sokka because it comes okay. first. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, it either what? comes first or in. I think it comes in between. I think it's the painted lady, then Sokka's master, then the puppet master. Um, Sokka's story. It's actually very simple plot wise. Yep. Sokka finds a sword master. Swordmaster teaches Sokka. Sokka makes a meteorite sword. The yeah, pr- that's pretty much the plot. So, like, but the uh, the emotional content of Sokka's master is very important because, like, so Sokka is being like completely anal basically about keeping to a schedule while they're traveling around the fire nation. And he's generally feeling that he, that he's also feeling that he is like unimportant. And this is highlighted in the beginning of the episode when a meteorite falls to earth and the three benders go and they like deal with the situation. They like prevent it from becoming a natural disaster for the town nearby. And he literally can't do anything at all. And he just feels like he's completely useless because he's not a bender. And everything they say to try to convince him that like he is useful, he just doesn't believe. So they tell him he needs to find a master. And it just turns out that there's like the greatest swordsmith and sword master ever lives in this town. So, you know, Sokka goes and he he learns swordcraft from him and then he's going to make a sword and he makes a sword out of the meteorite. But then Sokka feels guilty because he lied about being Water Tribe um, and says that he, you know, like doesn't deserve to, you know, be a student and that he can like never, you know, like he's not a good person or whatever. But then there is this whole scene where... The sword master basically duels with him and he's basically pointing out the whole time they're dueling everything that makes Sokka a great swordsman. And he tells him, like, I, I knew you were water tribe the whole time. There's no one in the Fire Nation named Sokka, <laughs> you know, basically, and tells him that it doesn't matter where he comes from. It's that all of the qualities that he has inside that make him a valuable person and make him someone with great potential. And he even tells Sokka that he could one day be an even greater sword master than he. And they're all things like resourcefulness, creativity, you know, perseverance, things like that. And so it's basically just like, Hey, look at Sokka. He has like really good qualities and is an important person with a lot to offer, even though he's not a bender and he's more than just comic relief, you know? Okay, up to this point, as a side note, we haven't talked a lot about um, the White Lotus. And it That's becomes true. very important <laughs> in the third season. So Yeah. Over the well, past, it's only really been briefly mentioned. Over the past two seasons, Iroh has talked about tea... And a couple of times he seems to receive help based on a pie show tile of a white lotus. Mm-hmm. And we get hints that this is some secret society. All right. And, 
at first it just seems like it's not a huge deal. It's just like a bunch of old dudes who like Paisho and tea that help each other out. Well, mm -hmm. it turns out that the Swordmaster gives Sokka a Paisho tile with a white lotus on it. And yeah. And they look back up at the gates to the Swordmaster's house and it's a great big, like, white lotus. So we get hints that the part of the reason this dude is cool with them is because he's in the White Lotus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think it's just generally like, so I really like Sokka, and they spend a lot of time throughout the series like developing the idea that he's an excellent strategist, an excellent researcher, like good at schedule keeping. And they really go into that a lot here in season three. And it culminates, like, in a very satisfying end to Sokka's character arc at the end of the season. But uh, what's important to know here is that he has learned from his own master. He's learned about swordcraft. He's created a cool meteorite sword. And he's received affirmation that his intrinsic qualities, like, give him something important to offer despite being a non-bender. The, the next episode... We can talk about... How about we do the Painted Lady? Yeah, let's do the Painted Lady. Do you want to take that one? I, I will I will follow your lead. Okie doke. So, the Painted Lady, right? Um, this is an episode... Uh, it's close to my heart. Where, basically, they need some food. And they're in the middle of this, like, weird lake with like a boardwalk town on the lake but it turns out that the lake is gross and polluted and everyone's sick and really poor and they barely have any food because there's a huge like smelting factory essentially that's polluting their lake and basically ruining their community and, uh, but oh, they what? have a local spirit that's part of their mythology called the Painted Lady, who they sort of rely on to help them. But, so, and the first night that they're there, the Painted Lady shows up uh, in their town and heals all of the sick people. And... Then they wake up the next morning and Appa's sick, so they have to go to town and do some stuff. And, you know, everyone's like, wow, the painted lady, the painted lady helped us. She, she healed our sick, right? So this keeps going on for several nights where, uh, for some reason, Appa's sick and they can't leave. But that night, the painted lady does something and helps out the town. Well, unsurprisingly, it turns out that Cora is not Cora. I keep doing this. Katara is posing as the painted lady and helping people because it hurts her to see people suffer. And it also makes her feel good. It gives her an ego boost to hear people, you know, say how thankful they are. But then it's a uh, Aang catches her one night and points out that whenever they leave, things are going to get just as bad because there's still the factory, like, polluting their lake and all of that. So they go destroy it. They go do large-scale industrial sabotage and completely destroy the entire factory. Radical um, environmental change! <laughs> um, which, like, 
wow, I, like that's like, you know, if you want to be like an illegalist anarchist, you know, like cool, you know, that's your prerogative. But they, they get back and Sokka immediately catches him. And he's like, you're you complete dumb fucks. You know who the soldiers are going to think did this. They, they're going to think the town did this and they're going to go take reprisals from the town. And uh, Katara and Anger both like, oh, you're right. We're dumb. So Sokka develops a plan to continue posing as the painted lady and scare the ever-loving shit out of the soldiers and make them go away forever. And then Team Avatar helps the town clean their lake. So it's kind of a fun episode because it's really showing, like, it's further developing Katara as someone who both, like, deeply cares about the suffering of other people and can't stand by while other people suffer and is also an incredibly powerful person, like, an incredibly powerful bender. Um, and it shows them do some interesting, like, insurrectionary sabotage yeah. also and like, prepare if- the environment. Yeah, if your weather, if your river is being polluted, go blow up a factory. Pretty much, yeah. Kids, that's the message that you're I, getting. I, we, <laughs> this show does not encourage you to commit crimes, government. But you, <laughs> no, that's the message that Avatar is sending, not I know. Us. Yeah, that's what the show is saying. <laughs> so Yeah, and then also, by the way, it turns out the Painted Lady is in fact a real spirit, and she shows up and thanks Katara for helping the people of the village. So I don't know. I just thought that one was fun. It had some interesting, like it had like a sort of like eco terrorist (laughs) theme. Yeah. uh, Poison Ivy done right. Yeah, basically, basically. And also the character design from the painted lady is really cool and pretty. And I like it a lot. uh, The, the last bit with the painted lady is also kind of like be the change you pray for sort of deal where it's like, the spirit is like, well, no, you gotta do the do this in my spirit, but you gotta do it. Do it yourself, thing. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And also, there's more like funny stuff about uh, Sokka being super anal about keeping to the schedule in that episode, basically telling them that in order to keep to schedule, they're gonna have to take potty breaks and food breaks at the same time. <laughs> he's he's mom. He's the mom. Yeah, he is the mom. Okay, but then, then okay, I'm gonna take this the one. last of the filler episodes that support is 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 the puppet master. I would argue that it's not a filler episode, um, because it's also super important for Cora. It's like the basis of all, like most of the entire Korea. first Je- season, really. Jesus. So they go to this fire village and people are disappearing. They find this old lady. And they, they get to stay with her. She runs an inn. And so they stay in this inn. And over the nights they're there, people disappear. And of course, they, they're, they're getting worried. All the meanwhile, in her attic, they discover some water tribe effects. Mm-hmm. And, and Katara is like, oh my god, you're like a part of the water tribe. And they find out that she is from the southern water tribe. Way long ago. She was mm-hmm. one of the waterbenders who had helped defend the Southern Tribe back when they weren't living in, like, five igloos. And she was taken prisoner. <clears throat> and she escaped. 
and has been living amongst the wolves this whole time. And on the meanwhile, she begins to impart Katara lessons. One of those lessons is that you must be resourceful when you live in a place not surrounded by water. Katara sympathizes. She remembers things like the desert or not having a river nearby. And her big lesson, which seems innocuous enough, is there's water in everything, including living things. So let's just like suck it right out of, you know, grass or wood or, or flowers, right? Water, water, you got to be creative. Water is in everything, okay? Foreshadowing, because Katara learns to do this, and, and there's this really great scene where she, this woman pulls water out of flowers, mm-hmm. and it kills the flowers, and, and Katara's like, shame about the flowers, though. Cut to learning more about this town. Eventually, Team Avatar finds the people who have who have gone missing. And they say that it was her, the innkeeper, who had captured all of them. And so Team Avatar rushes back. She they said they all said, and the one the one person they found who survived a capture attempt. Uh, and all the prisoners said that they suddenly could not control their own bodies and just marched straight into the under the mountain prison. So we. And that that's how it happened. Yeah, so we smash cut to Katara and the innkeeper face off. And basically, Katara's like, what the hell? What are you doing? And so. She tells the story. It's because, like, sorry, like, one little small thing. She takes Katara into the forest at night on the full moon to teach her the ultimate technique. And it's, she's, she, she shows Katara what the ultimate technique is, Uh, right? And Katara does not like it. What is that, Chris? All right, so it turns out, remember, waterbenders are more powerful in the full moon. Um, Mm -hmm. And during... Her stay in prison, she she learned how to bloodbend animals, like little rats, basically to be able to reach the water inside the body and control an individual using this technique, which was, they were able to do it because of the power of the full moon. Katara's yeah. like, oh. A heretofore unknown technique, so far as we know. And we find out that this is how she escaped by bloodbending guards. And she's been living amongst these people, getting revenge on them the entire time. So naturally, Katara doesn't like this at all. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? That's terrible. Well, after exposing the secret of stealing all these people away... Katara and her fight. Right? She's like, well, I have to stop you now because I'm chaotic good, or lawful good, and you're chaotic neutral at best. Yeah. So um, we, we, gotta, we, gotta, we gotta settle up. And it's a full moon. So they fight they with water first. They have a badass waterbending fight. Like, it's yeah. high intensity. Like, and... and the innkeeper's pulling water out of trees that then explode. Um, 
It's super, it's super cool. Super cool. But, but she turns it against Katara by bloodbending... Well, it's Sokka and Aang, right? Well, because she tries to bloodbend Katara, and it turns yeah. out that Katara has the ability to shake off bloodbending, which is never really explained. Um, on the wiki, it's just described that she has an innate resistance to bloodbending. Um, she's, she's too powerful. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that, that's the... the she, plot armor. She has plot armor. And... and <laughs> But but Aang, the Avatar, apparently, does not benefit from this plot armor. And so she bloodbends Sokka and Aang, like, with Sokka's sword, like, at Katara. And she manages to freeze them and stop them. And then she fucking bloodbends the Innkeeper, because the Innkeeper's about to, like, kill Aang with Sokka's sword. Yeah. And Katara hates every moment of it. But She's, like, she, crying as she does it. But she basically ends the fight then and there by bloodbending without any practice. The, yeah, because basically her point, the, the idea is, like, she's, like, a way more powerful bender than Hama, the innkeeper. She's, like, way, way stronger than her. And the only way that Hama was winning the fight at all was through bloodbending, so as soon as Katara sort of gave into it, she, of course, could, like, immediately do it and, like, win against the innkeeper in a test of strength. And and they rescue all the people, and Hama curses them, and, and they take her away to the authorities, and it yeah. feels like a very unsatisfying... Okay, the ending to that episode is great because it's just not good. It's not a good ending. There is no good ending to these events. And it's because of, like, all the terrible shit that had been done to the, like, this, this... It's just, like, it's cycles of trauma is what it is. Yeah, and and this this episode is, like, kids, shit is fucked and sorry, but... Yeah, and, like, what she says, what, like, Hama says to um, Katara is that, like, I don't give a shit if they put me back in prison now. Like, my work here is done. Like, you're a bloodbender now. Yeah, very much like a like a corrupting apprentice sort of story. Also, they they take the lawful good way out and they like hand her over to the authorities. Yeah, like it's like which is pretty fucked up, but like it's basically it's a great example of cycles of trauma. It's that um, you know, she was traumatized and through her trauma she decided to get revenge and therefore traumatized other people and like because Katara was also traumatized, she was vulnerable to manipulation by this person and that like that person wanted to manipulate her into enacting the same types of cycles of trauma, you know? It's pretty fucked up. Yeah, she's like, Katara, now you can finish my work, which is just apparently, like, untargeted revenge. Yeah, just, like, imprisoning civilians. Um, Bad praxis. (laughs) Yeah, not good praxis. Um, So, yeah, I, I don't know what... I don't actually... I was thinking about it after that episode, and I don't know what a good outcome would have been. Like, they can't just take her with them... Because they have shit to do. And handing her over to the authorities doesn't feel like the right outcome either. I, 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 I don't know what they should have done. Yeah, I don't really either. Like, I don't want their 
that's the thing is that like Hama is very complicated like because I don't want them to kill her but like also like I don't agree with like prison either and like how are they going to prevent her from bloodbending in prison and she she learned how to bloodbend bloodbend in order to escape a prison like (laughs) what is a prison going to do yeah I can't see them doing anything but executing her that's probably why it was off screen yeah, yeah, it's pretty fucked up, but I, mean, I don't know. You could Obviously, say... the concept of bloodbending becomes very, very important for Korra, and it's, like, kind of cool and badass. Um, though it is, like, it's kind of unfair that every other type of bending gets to have, like, a special secondary type of bending that is fine for people to do, except all waterbending, waterbending has is bloodbending, and it's considered evil. I mean, no, they describe it as spiritually corrupting. Like, it actually has a literal bad influence on people. Katara actually talks about it in, like, a comic, I think. Oh, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, Katara says, like, when I used it, I could feel it, like, changing me. Huh, interesting. Which makes a character, like, I, I, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but, um... Which makes future characters in certain shows make more sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's kind of unfair to waterbenders that, like, earthbenders get to have metal bending and lava bending, and that's fine. And, like, firebenders get to have lightning bending, and well, that's fine. But, but blood, then, blood you know, is all, all waterbenders have is blood bending, and that's considered evil, and it's spiritually corrupting. Yeah, but bloodbenders get like a like a certified kill. Like you use bloodbending, you're fucked. That that, that like that it's the most direct and martial version of any bending aside from like stabbing somebody with a metal rod. <laughs> but That's true. It, avatars don't use bloodbending. Which Yeah, well so far as we know, like Hama was the first ever bloodbender. That's what they say. That's what Hama believes. That's what Hama believes. Um, yeah. I mean it's probably not true. No, waterbenders have, have healing. It. What? Waterbenders have healing. Oh, you're right, they do. They have healing. Okay, that's fine. Well, you know who has no secondary extra air ability like uh bending ability that that we know about? Airbenders. It's because airbending is so versatile. That's true. It's incredibly versatile. Um, and I guess sometimes they can fly. Like, legitimately fly. Yeah, like, actually fly. That, that's like enough. Like, fly. Like, no joke, fly. <laughs> Alright, so uh, that episode is great, and afterwards things sort of kick off because the invasion begins. Yeah, the invasion. It goes so poorly. <laughs> it goes great until it doesn't. It goes great until it goes just horribly. First of all, first of all, Azula, back in season two, and we see this with all the dramatic irony the show can muster, Azula is impersonating a Kyoshi warrior, and the Emperor, who has been clued in to the initial invasion plan, is like, Hey, Kyoshi warriors, we just met. Let me tell you about our super secret plan. We're going to invade the Fire Nation on the day of the eclipse. And so Azula's like, huh, okay, I'll remember that. (laughs) So Azula goes back 
to the Fire Nation and is like, yo, guys, by the way, invasion happening on the eclipse. And... <laughs> like with a Mario accent? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Our toilet's going to be clogged. Um, with the eclipse. So she goes back and she tells Ozai. And so they basically prepare for the invasion. They're yeah. from the first moment the fog rolls in from the waterbenders. They are ready with a flaming net, and I got they, the impression that that's just like a thing that's always there because they were like, "All right, first we got to get past the great gates of Azulon, and the great gates of Azulon are two big ass statues between which a flaming net is drawn, which is amazing. That's amazing security for your bay." Um, wait, like, my, my girlfriend, like, I should wrap my girlfriend in flaming nets, because you, it's my Yes, bae. like that. First of all, you don't have a girlfriend you never had. You're a great big homo. Hey, I had, so. <laughs> whoa, I've had a girlfriend. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you, I thought you were a yeah. gold star. Well, okay. If you really want to fight, I, I am technically a gold star, because it's not never having had a girlfriend, it's never <laughs> having engaged in Coy, coital <laughs> behavior. Thank you, and I have not. <laughs> sorry, I sh- I'm sorry. I shouldn't have made fun of you. No, but that's okay. I mean, like the bay, like Chesapeake Bay, and you know that, Chris. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, I I deserved the wretched mud you sling. Um, <laughs> so we've got the invasion is going well. Because they're evading all the obstacles, they're making their way to this the palace. Things using submarines. Um, the fighting is all really cool. The whole episode is basically just one long battle. Mm-hmm. While Aang is looking for the Fire Lord, basically invasion force is attacking the palace. While Aang goes and fucks up the Fire Lord because the Fire it's Lord. It's all can't basically bend. Like the most of the invasion is. Mostly a distraction. They yes. just want to like draw all attention and like do as much military damage as they can while Aang goes and does one on one battle with the Fire Lord. Yeah, and they get to the palace and everything in the palace city is abandoned. <laughs> everything is abandoned. And Aang is like, fuck! Um, which is like, a, if I were in a tabletop game, that's like a great twist. Like you show up and everybody's just not there. Anyway, so we've got this twist, and basically it's a rush to find the Fire Lord. So they go into a volcano under the city, and Azula has tricked them. She has led them into a metal room, because they believe metal bending isn't a thing. And they, Team Avatar, fights Azula, and she runs down the clock. She runs down the Eclipse's clock, because it's only like eight minutes, because Eclipses are fucking short. And mm-hmm. that's it. But although they don't Azula realize that's wins, what she's doing until it's basically too late. Right. Until she wins, Zuko finds his father and is like, You are gonna listen to me. Because, and this is important. Zuko changes sides again. Yeah. What led what was up the, to this? What was the exact like precipitating factor? Be- the the last thing that happened before that. All right. So up until this point, 
Zuko has be been increasingly racked by two things. Paranoia about his dad finding out about the Avatar mm -hmm. and Zula and guilt over his actions. Uh, oh, there's because, the whole, it's the Ember Island episode. That's yes. what it is. So Zuko f comes to realize that he never really had a happy family, that the idealized version of his family never really existed. Azula was always bad. His, his father never cared about him. He, he basically came to understand some things about his mother and his father and combined with the guilt of Iroh, he's really starting to realize, wow, I have made the biggest mistake I ever could have. And the character developments that had occurred to him over season two weren't just erased. They couldn't just be erased. And so like sort of a festering wound since his betrayal. It's, it's, been, it's eating away at him. It's been building and building and building until he finally realizes, okay, my dad has just come up with a plan to fucking destroy the Earth Nation. Like, not take it over, burn it entirely to the ground. And he's like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. What? So really, it's the genocide, I think, that's like the last straw. Yeah. I do want to talk about, we don't have to talk about it at right this second, but like the the Ember Island episode is like an emotionally very important episode for Zuko. Well, let's talk about it. Now's a good time. Sure. Okay. So while the team Avatar is like gallivanting around the Fire Nation, like Zuko is doing what, you know, we've said he's doing and it's festering and it's eating away. And so the... <laughs> bizarro team avatar like those four people that one guy and three girls um they all go and on a cup. teen beach vacation to ember island um with the old lady twins and basically they're trying to hang out with like normal fire nation teenagers and failing because they're all fucking weirdos yeah, um and it's not working like... out for them but like basically the whole time zuko's being shitty with may he's being shitty with Azula. Azula is being shitty with all of them. And it all culminates after they get asked to leave the party that they're at where they're being weird and causing fights. Um, they're sitting around a fire and they, um, you know, Zuko's saying mean shit to everybody. And then everybody basically makes a point about how, like, hey, you think you're the only one who has pain? Like, I have pain too. You know, Tylee's like, I grew up in a household where I was the eighth of, uh, you know, eight daughters, all of whom look exactly like me. You know, I was always part of a match set. Like, that's why I wanted to join the circus. And May's like, just like, you know, nobody ever, ever like paid attention to me. You know, I got everything I wanted as long as I like was a perfect little doll or whatever. And so, but basically they just like talk about their pains, basically, but they pick and pick and prod at Zuko. You know, all three of them are like, why are you so angry, Zuko? What are you upset about? Are you mad at dad? Are you mad at me? What are you angry about? What are you angry about? What are you angry about, Zuko? Until he finally, like, very melodramatically goes, I'm angry at myself. And you remember that, like, it's a show for children. Um, but it still is nonetheless, despite the fact that that's a little melodramatic, a very powerful moment because Zuko finally has that breakthrough of like, 
he has everything that he ever wanted and he's still unhappy and he's still angry. And now it's that he's angry at himself because he realizes that his uncle was right the whole time and that everything he ever wanted wasn't really what he wanted or what he needed and that he betrayed everything that he actually cared about in order to get it. And so it's a huge emotional breakthrough. And basically he like during this Ember Island episode, combustion man is hunting to an avatar. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, while Zuko's having this nice little realization, the team avatars in mortal peril <laughs> because of Zuko's actions, because of Zuko. So yeah. Yeah. Fast forward to, um, the eclipse and Zuko finally confronts his dad and is like, you're going to listen to me because you can't firebend. So ha. <laughs> and, he's in there with his broadswords, with his blue spirit broadswords. And he's like, you're a terrible fuck. He, Zuko's like, you're a terrible fucking dad. You are a terrible father and you are wrong. And I have nothing to be sorry for when I stood up to you. And he basically tells him off in a very like satisfying way. And then he <laughs> fucking runs for it. Yeah, and by the way, like, while that's happening, his dad is also trying to run out the clock, essentially, just like Azula did, and, like, taunting Zuko, you know, trying to pick at his wounds, and he finally hits on it when he's like, don't you want to know what happened to your mother? And Zuko's like, oh, shit, she's alive. Um, And Ozai does run out the clock, and then basically goes to kill his son. He lightning bends at Zuko, and then Zuko uses the redirection technique that he learned from Iroh, and then fucking books it, which is and, a and, great, and runs away. Which is like a great, like a, a great metaphor, right? He is he has expelled the vitriol of his parentage, yeah, via his unofficial parentage. Yes, it's like yes. a great. It's very poetic. It is. It's beautiful. It's yeah. Um. So. Yeah, and basically, everything's fucked. They're all fucked. It did not work well at all. Um, they did not defeat the Fire Lord. It's kind and of, all of their parents are going to get taken prisoner. And, and all of the kids fly away on Appa. And there's and things giant blimps. There's giant, like, dirigibles that are going to speed towards the Earth Nation to burn it to the ground. Yep, it's going to be great. They're going to use like, Sozin's Comet to just... Light the entire Earth Kingdom on fire. It kind of feels like the end, like the end of one episode of Game of Thrones, like not a <laughs> season finale level of fucked up, but like close. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Um, and so then we get like another, we go into another little set of things that like seem like they could just be filler episodes, but are really important to like emotional character development. Um. Iroh also escapes from prison, by the way. Um, okay, yeah. Iroh, Iroh also escapes from prison through getting swole secretly, basically. Um, <laughs> so then there's another series of what, like I said, could be filler episodes but aren't. Um, basically, kiddos hanging out at the Eastern Air Temple. It's architecturally stunning. It's upside down. It's hanging off a cliff. Zuko shows up and is like, I want to be part of your crew now and teach the Avatar firebending. And 
not everyone is cool with that, especially Katara. Katara's like, if you fuck up even once, I will fucking kill you. Don't even play. I'm going to fucking kill you. Um, because she's an OG. Um, but then basically everybody takes a life-affirming field trip with Zuko, um, except for Toph. She doesn't get to. <laughs> but um, They make a really so- funny joke that like every character gets to have some special moment with Zuko and Toph is like, I want my special moment and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is like, it's a good, I can't, what is her special moment with Zuko? It's really dumb. They, they, they go out looking for something and it, the, the quest ends in like failure. Yeah. She's like, is this my field trip? Yeah. But like, so Aang and Zuko, Zuko goes to teach, Aang firebending and then he like can't really firebend anymore he's like a firebending pussy um and it's because he drew all of his uh power from hatred and so when he wasn't filled with hate anymore he couldn't firebend yeah so Aang and Zuko go ahead sorry imagine if like Palpatine was like okay I'm good now and he was like (laughs) like little sparks coming out of his fingers instead it's like that (laughs) So Aang and Zuko go and they discover what was thought to be a lost civilization that's basically like, it's like Aztecs, basically. Um, that's the inspiration. And they were the original firebenders and they like learned to firebend from the source of firebending, which it turns out are dragons. <laughs> and there's like a whole thing about how like, we hunted the dragons to extinction and Iroh killed the last dragon. And then, oops, we learned that he didn't actually... He came here and learned from these dragons and kept the secret because he's Iroh and he's cool. <laughs> um, so they learned to firebend from dragons. Um, and Zuko takes Katara to go murder the man who murdered her mother. Say that uh, sentence five times fast. <laughs> what? I'm sorry? Say that sentence fast five times fast. <laughs> Zuko takes the car- Katara to murder the man who murdered her mother. <laughs> murdered her man who murdered her mother. Murdered her man who murdered her mother. Murdered her <laughs> um, Because he believes she needs revenge. Because I think that one's important for showing that, like, while Zuko may have, like, developed as a person and is no longer, like, evil, he's not a completely different person. You know, he doesn't stop, like believing the world works the way he's always believed the world works he still thinks that like revenge is an acceptable thing and that getting revenge will help katara you know he's not just a different person because he decided he doesn't like his dad you know i think i think that's important right um so and she decides not to in the end she does some really like she makes the rain stop she waterbends so powerfully that it stops raining. That's pretty cool. Um, but she decides not to kill him because she's Katara and she's like a nice person. And then Zuko and Sokka get a two-parter episode where they go to a really f- interesting firebending prison to try and free Sokka's dad. And also they find Suki because she's been in prison there. Um and that one's that one's a fun episode and the big Oh, that one's plot relevant actually. Yeah, the big the big thing that happens at the very end is that Azula comes to the prison. We're unsure of exactly why, but it's because Maze 
uncle. They find out Zuko's there. That's yeah, why they Zuko find out gets Zuko's caught. Zuko's in the prison, and May's uncle runs the place. So he calls up May, mm-hmm. who tells Azula. And so at the very end of the episode, when everybody's making their daring escape, Azula fucking shows up. And at the very end of it, Azula is about to, like, stone-cold murder Zuko. Mm-hmm. Drop him into a lake of boiling water. And May stops her because May ends up deciding that she, like, loves Zuko more than she's afraid of Azula. And so, Azula, so then Azula's Azula's uh, about to kill May, and May's like, all right, this is just, like, I'll just have to defend myself the best I can against this, like, really powerful firebender. And then Ty Lee chi blocks azula like she just straight up gets up in there and like rapid fire like you don't even see it coming just all of a sudden tylee's in there and she like chi blocks azula and then azula's like down on the ground like what the fuck and her two like the people that she thought were her best friends that she she as much as a person like azula can have friends that she considered their best friend have like completely betrayed her because she finally what basically pushed them too far she became too cruel and they just couldn't deal with it anymore and they're basically just like yeah fuck you and leave her so this is a big deal as we'll see later because it starts to unravel azula her paranoia ratchets up but um ang at, at this point Let's be clear about a conflict that has sort of been raging on and off this whole season. Aang has to kill the Fire Lord. That's what everybody wants him to do. That's what people have basically been like. You have to defeat the Fire Lord, which is like, kill him. Uh Uh-huh. And and there are good reasons for that. And this entire time, especially here at the end, Aang is starting to fret over killing him. He's like, I don't want to kill him. I don't want to kill him. Which culminates in He's an being epi- a whiny bitch about it, really. Yeah, which culminates in an episode <laughs> on a giant lion turtle. It's amazing. Um, Aang sleepwalks out to a tiny island, and it turns out to be an animal shell. And on yeah, this, and you go like a whole episode until you realize that it's an animal. On this island, desperately searching for a way to not kill Ozai for reasons. That, let's be honest, are purely selfish. Yeah. He seeks his past lives. And he, he talks asks, to the last four avatars. And and each one of them is like, I can't tell you what to do. But they each impart a lesson to him. Roku's lesson, which by the way, we've seen Roku's past in one of these episodes... Roku's like, listen, I had a chance to stop all of this before it happened. Way back with the first Fire Lord, uh, Azulon, no wait, Azulon's father. So, Sozen. Yeah, Sozen. I was friends with Sozen and I could have stopped him and I let my friendship get in the way. And I let him go. So he's like, I impart onto you like you gotta do something. Don't wait. Um... Kiyoshi's like, I would have fucking killed what's his face. 
this Earth King general that was threatening Kyoshi, I would have killed him. I would have had to have done whatever I needed to do to keep them safe. And she's like, do what you have to do. So he's like, okay, I'll talk to a waterbender. And he's like, I was the go with the flow kind of avatar, but my inaction led to the death of my loved one at the hands of Ko, the face stealer. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's like, be active, actively shape the world. And then he fight. he's like, fuck, I need an airbender. Cause he's cloaking his desire not to kill an air philosophy. Mm -hmm. And the airbender's like, listen, I get it. I was an airbender too. I was taught the same things. But here's the deal. You are not an air nation person. You, you are the work. avatar. You are the world. You are to the world and of it. You cannot afford to you cannot afford to prioritize your spiritual needs over the needs of the world. Basically, you have to forgo enlightenment. And Aang is like, I don't like that. Um, her answer seems to be the best, in my opinion. She's like, you're yeah, being selfish. Yeah, it's really thoughtful. It's super thoughtful. And you know what the show's writers did? Ha! Fuck those guys! And they're really good advice. Um, because Aang talks to the lion turtle mm -hmm. and the lion turtle says in a time before time people used to bend energy the inside energy the within human. themselves and the lion turtle imparts onto him an ability which is a, just a fucking cop out it's a deus ex machina and like later they try to imply like in Korra they try to imply that it's something every avatar has always been able to do but basically, and they also don't tell us exactly, there's like more to his conversation with the lion turtle that we don't see until later. But the lion turtle gives him a deus ex machina, um, which is like, go ahead, Chris, you can tell him what it, it is. It, it, allows a, it allows the avatar to take away a person's bending, which, if you think about it, is like, oh, well, if the fire lord can't firebend well then he's just a normal person and then he's pointless um basically it's like oh just defeat him and take his bending away and, and you don't have to do anything about him just forget his massive yeah. political and military machine um and all his supporters. it honestly like it's everything else about is so good even the rest of the ending of the show is really good just this one thing feels like such a fucking cop-out because it's like it's suddenly like so childish like everything they build up and build up and build up shows that he's gonna have to do this really really hard thing and they're setting up this whole moral conflict where everything's pointing to that like he's gonna have to do this like really difficult thing that it's like maybe something that feels on an individual level morally wrong when it comes to like the world is the best thing to do and then all of a sudden he has this deus ex machina to get out of it and we just get to pretend that if the Fire Lord can't bend, that he no longer is, like, a source of political power and is, like, incapable of doing anything. And I think even the show 
even with its analysis that taking out the leader of a nation state would like neutralize the nation state politically is still more nuanced than to think like if he can't bend then he's like not the fire lord anymore like it's it's so much worse than everything else in the show like zuko's final battle with azula is fraught with more like emotion than that fucking cop out Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, that battle is, like, it's really good. Like, obviously, like, the Aang's battle with Ozai up until that point is, like, really dope. And it's happening at the same time that Zuko and Katara are fighting Azula, which is really cool. And then Toph and Sokka and Suki are trying to take out the entire fleet of airships which is also really cool. Like, all kinds of really cool stuff's going on. Everyone's having, like, really beautiful, fruitful moments for their character. But just, like, that one thing, like, Aang should have killed Ozai. It's what made sense. It was what was, it was what was the appropriate end to the emotional and plot arcs of, of the episode of the season of the show and they didn't do it either because they got scared or because the network censored them so i i personally feel like they telegraphed it so much up to that point that it feels like network censorship to me like we yeah i like i i can't be sure but it just feels like an exec looked down and they're like oh well he can't actually die jet can get crushed by a rock but this genocidal maniac can't get killed on because it would have to occur on screen. Yeah. And it's like, fuck you. <laughs> like, seriously, it's so bad that I can't imagine the writers intended that to occur. Yeah. It felt like they I were mean, like, forced the to show just... is nearly fucking, it's nearly a fucking perfect show, honestly. But this just one thing is just, oh, God, it's so bad. And it feels like the wrong lesson. It, it feels like if you stick to your principles, a deus ex machina will save you so that you can both attain what you need to and keep your principles. And yeah, I'm like, you can that's get a what terrib- you want and what you need. That is a terrible lesson. That is a terrible lesson. Yeah, that like being rigid in your principles will totally work out. Even if literally everything and everyone in the world, like, every wise person, every friend you have, every, uh, you know, theory, every stratagem, all of the evidence of your own goddamn five senses is telling you that you cannot be rigid in your principles right now, that you have to do something you're not comfortable with. If you're just rigid in your principles, it'll all work out. (sighs) I'm still Bad salty. <laughs> Bad. Yeah, if if the show is like a dog, you're like, rub his nose in it. Like, bad. Bad dog. Basically. Um, yeah. I mean, just... Ugh, okay. Um, do we want to talk about, like, how basically the arcs of the other characters and how those wrap up? Yes. So, and, and we can go fairly simple on this. Um, mm-hmm. Aang and Katara end up together. Oh, I kind of meant, um, like, do we want to talk, like, briefly about, like, 
you know, the, the last plot elements of the different members of our main cast, because they all get really cool stuff to do during the finale. Okay, so um, uh, we I think we should let people watch most of it, but we can give people a base description. Sure. Aang goes to fight Ozai. Mm-hmm. Katara and Zuko go to fight Azula. Mm-hmm. Toph, Sokka, and Suki are placed in charge of destroying a blimp armada that is approaching the Earth Kingdom to destroy it with the power of Sozin's Comet. The White Lotus Society is retaking Ba Sing Se with Iroh as their head. And every old man that we've met for the entire show, like every master that anybody had, turns out to be a White Lotus, by the way. And they all succeed. Yeah, they do. But not without, like loss basically like everybody almost loses at some point they all almost die it is very hard one very hard one um i would like to talk about sort of where the characters end up at the very end as well yeah definitely um ang and katara end up together Eventually. They Eventually. don't, I mean... It, it was telegraphed they, since episode one. Yeah, and they share, like... They share, like, finally, like, a mutual, like, passionate kiss. Um, and that's kind of, like, the satisfaction of that plotline that we get for this show. Because they're kids. They're still kids. Zuko ends up as the Fire Lord. But mm-hmm. it really emphasizes that he's his main concern is paying reparations to the world. Yeah. His, like his, he, he states very clearly that with Aang, he has to make it up to the world. And because of his journey, we believe it. It doesn't sound empty or like it's sort of just him trying to cover the nation's ass because of everything that he's gone through and seen and experienced and learned, we're left believing that he really understands amends have to be made. Mm-hmm. And it's very powerful. It is. It's really powerful. Um, and we can trust him now, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, like, and you definitely get the sense that he like, has you, we don't know see a lot about the Fire Nation in Korra, but like we do see Zuko, and we do know that while Zuko is still alive, he has already abdicated his role as Fire Lord, and it's and like it's his daughter who's doing it. You know, it's like so it's still like it's still a hereditary monarchy, but like there's clearly a moving away from the kind of like autocracy and divine right that there had previously been if he would pass that on to an heir while he's still alive, right? Um, Azula had a breakdown, a really bad breakdown. She completely loses her mind. She goes completely insane. And, and they put her in prison. They put her in her prison. Her end is like, it's really, it's, it's really upsetting, actually. It's really tragic. Um, but you can't say she doesn't sort of 
deserve, deserve it? it? I don't know. She, it's one of those where no, it's like no, she's she, been like she would have been a genocidal maniac, just like her father. She would have too. It's like that's the thing is like she's so evil and horrible that like she kind of like deserves whatever happens to her. But her descent into madness and those final couple of episodes is like really pretty disturbing. Um, like all brought on by herself. Like she she does it to herself, and that's part of why it's so disturbing. Yeah. It, she she becomes very very paranoid. She dismisses everyone. She alienates everyone around her. She begins to hallucinate. Um, you know, sort of loses bodily control. Um, is upsetting. It is very powerful. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, Sokka ends up being like very successful in everything that he did. Um, he goes He's on to a great be general. Yeah, uh, we see Iroh retires and drinks tea. Mm-hmm. Iroh makes such a good appearance in Korra. Um, I know. Uh, oh, so good. Um, Toph. <laughs> we'll talk about Toph when we talk about Korra. Let's let's yeah. do that. Um, yeah, let's leave it there. <laughs> oh my god. Sokka and Suki end up together. Right? Well, I mean... That's one of the things that we like. Some of these things we can speak to more definitively because we know what happens and like we learn about more about it in Korra. But with Sokka and Suki, we can't really. Um, yeah, we don't know. That's what they show us at the end of Avatar. They show us that they are in a relationship. Yeah, they never mention it in Korra, but that's what they show us at the end of Avatar. And the world is damaged, but can begin to heal. Yep. That's basically that's basically the end of Avatar. Is that like, all right, like we've we've ended the crisis. Like, let's begin to try to heal the wounds of a hundred years. And it is wonderful. It's beautiful, actually. It's really great. I mean, like honestly, like except for the fact that Aang doesn't kill Ozai, it's a ten out of ten show. It's really, it's, it's a really incredible show. The performances are amazing. The animation is beautiful. The world is captivating. The character development is, you know, is, is excellent. It's a really, truly, like, lovingly crafted, really, really, really excellent show. And you can tell, like, how rich and wonderful it is from the fact that we needed to do we spent five hours talking about this show that's three seasons long. Three seasons of 20 episodes. Like, this show is 60 episodes long. 61 episodes long. And we spent five hours talking about it. And, and by the way, we could do more of that. Yeah. We could talk even more. There's so much stuff that we didn't address. But, uh... That would be overkill. It would be overkill. And besides, like, you guys, you have, you can watch the show, you know, discover it for yourself. Like, it's really, like, and this is my third time watching Avatar straight through, and it doesn't get old. Like, it stays 
just as engaging and like just as beautiful, just as captivating as it was the first time I watched it. It's so hard to, you know, kind of finalize it. Um, it is. I'll, I'll just say that it stands as an excellent. I think when people saw this show, they were like, why the fuck can't we do this? If Japan mm-hmm. can do anime consistently, why can't we do this consistently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, like... It's a great experiment. Like, it was an experiment mm-hmm. when it was conducted, for sure. Oh, yeah, Like, and Absolutely. to this day, stuff of its like has not come back around, unless you count Korra. And Korra was a critical hit, but a commercial flop. Yeah, and I would really, like... I would really love it if we got to have, like, another Avatar series, like, every five to ten years, if they stayed as good as Avatar and Korra were. Um, But I don't know. Like, they're clearly expensive, and they're also clearly, at this point, the audience is primarily adult and not children. And so I don't know if, like, Nickelodeon whatever let them do it and i also don't know like to what degree nickelodeon owns that intellectual property if they could do it with another network (sighs) but luckily we have cora which is we do which yeah so at the very least we have more yeah closing thoughts yep um Go watch Avatar. Like, absolutely. Go watch it. Um, And I promise that we're covering Korra. We're just not covering Korra next because we we don't want... I think everyone would get tired of it if we talked about the Avatar universe for, like, three straight months. (laughs) So we're going to do Korra, just not next. What are we going to do next time? We're going to do Wee Bear Bears. Wee Bear It's going to be so bears. cute. <laughs> um, I have only seen memes from Wee Bear Bears. But Guys, it's the most wholesome show. It It's it's part of Cartoon Network's, like, general feel circa 2010? No, this is a, that's a current show. Well, no, I know it's current, but, like, the current iteration of Cartoon Network has been, like, a thing since Adventure Time. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know what you mean, yeah. Like, I don't know how to... It's just kind of an ephemeral feeling they've had since Adventure Time. Yeah, we can definitely dig into that, like, when as we cover more recent Cartoon Network shows. Because you're right, there is, like... Something about yeah, um, it, you know? With, with, we bear, bear, there's Adventure Time and Steven Universe and, um, The Amazing World of Gumball and, mm. oh my god, I'm blanking. Regular show? Regular show. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I'm not really a fan of that other one. I forget what it's called. It's like about pirates or something. Oh, Flapjack. there's a couple ones they have that aren't very Flapjack good. Is, is um, what it's called. Chowder? Yeah, I wasn't really a big fan of Chowder. 
Uncle Grandpa, which is really bad. Yeah, I didn't like Uncle Grandpa either. I don't think it's so much that it's a bad show. It's that it's just actually for children. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas none of the other ones are. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. you, okay, you can have a show like Adventure Time that's like nonchalantly throwing existential crises sentences like out every now and then and put it up against a show like chowder and have me go damn this chowder's good <laughs> right yeah but like i think now now that we have finished like you, you know we finished that um set of artificial constraints that we set for ourselves and now that we're in season two like we're probably going to be getting into a lot more like recent and more contemporary shows and so a lot of those like hmm these networks themselves have like different eras that have different feels to them stuff like there's more room to discuss that kind of stuff because cartoon network definitely has like distinct eras oh yes yes there's the mm. like Post-cartoon cartoon era, or pre, sorry, pre-cartoon cartoon, then cartoon cartoon, then post-cartoon cartoon, and then, AKA like, the Dark Ages. Adventure Time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, the Dark Ages, I'm pretty sure, was just, like, 90% Hanna-Barbera reruns. I mean, yeah, basically. Like, they had very little... Anyway, like, Avatar <laughs> was on Nickelodeon. Like, none of this has anything to do with Avatar. <laughs> Um, the point is, like, that's a great show, and, and you should go watch it. And, Chris, what are your closing thoughts on Avatar? I wish we could have had more time, but we're hitting diminishing returns on time per entertainment value. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I Let's just say I imagine a person could write a thesis on the show. And Yeah, I agree. I, for I always liked it. Because I was one of those kids who was like, bending is so cool and the fighting is good, which was just like a gateway to the deeper importances of the show, which really kind of laid dormant until I thought about it more by talking about mm -hmm. it in college. So mm -hmm. I, it's near and dear to, to my heart. Yep, me too. Um, but yeah, like we clearly really, really love this show. And like, thanks for listening. Um, we hope that you love the show as much as us and you got something out of, you know, uh, hearing us talk about it because, you know, what, what is this, but a way to connect over things that like mean something to us. Right. Um, if, but please, sorry, if go ahead. You like have enjoyed this. You should theoretically, uh, know of something coming up. So Paige and I have discussed something to, you know, to give, we've, we've got a Patreon now and, and we don't rely on it, but for those who um, are so kind and would like to give, we've been talking about um, little ways to maybe provide a little bit of bonus content. Um, and we're looking for ways to do that in the near future. So just stay tuned, um, bounce around a couple of ideas, but other than that, Paige can clue you into the other media that we belong to. Yeah, so obviously on Patreon, we are Animates, so you can find us there if you want to subscribe to that Patreon. 
Uh, we're on Twitter at Animates. We have got a Facebook fan page, Animates Podcast. You can shoot us an email, animates at gmail.com with a numeral eight instead of the letters A-T. And as always, please, uh, if you enjoy the show, uh, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It'll really help others find the show. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Paige. And I've been Chris. And this has been Animates. <laughs>